Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Tommy Chung. Okay, awesome. Uh, first thing I should ask before we do get into this, uh, do you prefer Tommy? Do you prefer Mr. Chong? How would you like to me to talk to you? Your Royal Highness. Uh, no, Tommy's fine. Whatever. Okay. Whatever. Awesome. Whatever. Um, Tommy, I oh, want to thank I like that. Did you get that joke? Your Royal Highness. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> I thought you were pet putting play on words there. I was like, oh, he's 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 good for ten o'clock in the morning. So there you I go. Tell you, I, I just it just said, oh, your royal highness. I like that. <laughs> That's how we should refer to the Queen and the Prince Charles and uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry all the time now. Well, no, the Queen and all of them should be called your royal racist. Oh, and, yeah. Marco, yeah, they they ran Marco out because uh, you know they don't they don't want no brown people in the, in the in the in the in the in the in the royal family, you know. That's been you know that's been their worst nightmare for since the beginning of the royal, yeah, because they're they're all concerned about the bloodline, and then all of a sudden Harry comes up and he marries a black a black girl from America. <laughs> hey, to each their own, right? Uh, family's family. Well, not a, the bloodline doesn't matter. It's the family's family. No, what are they? Yeah, for sure. But I mean that—that's ev- evolution, you know. But that—that's—that's that's the only problem I've ever had with the monarchy or or England. England, uh, period. You know, it's—it's it's always been a, a racist, uh, you know, uh, officially racist. You know, because they 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 used to uh, own all those countries. You know, they were yeah. part of the British Commonwealth, and and you had to pay homage to the great white uh, father and the great white lady queen. And now it's the great not quite so white <laughs> anymore. But anyway, that's that's part of. Uh, the world that we live in. Exactly. Um, uh, we we've jumped into this interview even before I even knew we were into the interview, but here we are. Um, uh, I, I, I got to ask the question. I, I I haven't heard this question being asked by, by interviews that I've listened to you on. Where does your writing come from? You you talk about how you are a writer first, but where does your writing style come from? Like, is it an emotional part of you? It. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm always in tune with the with the universe, you know. So uh, my inspiration comes uh, uh, at all times. At all, you never know when it's going to happen, you know. And and when it happens, you know. Thank God I got my phone now. Before I used to write notes. And everywhere, you know, I got, I had stacks of uh, yellow, uh, what do you call the, those pads, you know, the yellow legal pads. Yep. Uh, I used to write on them. Um, started as soon as I get, you know, was assigned uh, to write a book report, you know, and then I, I just, uh, it's the easiest thing for me to do, to get, get inside and then, and then explore uh, that was that what that which is there you know so it's uh, it, it wasn't it's never been a um, uh, a challenge you know I, I don't have to work at it you know I thank God because I never had a job where I had you know with deadlines you had to have something done you know like when I wrote a book uh, uh, they, I, I wrote you know, I just wrote down anything and then sent it to the editors, and the editors uh, sorted it out and, and you know deciphered the conflicts. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, correct my spelling, correct my grammar, grammar. You know, and then if I got too emotional, they would they, they'd trim it down. That's the the one book I wrote, the the uh, Meditations from the Joint. 
And uh, no, it's writing has always been just my way to meditate, basically, you know. Were your mother and father writers as well? No, no. My mother was a great storyteller. She was a great story, just for me, just for the kids. She was very shy. She was shy and a quarter native, which we had no idea. I had no idea. It's funny, she married a Chinese, pulled but you know, Chinese. And so I'm half Chinese. That was the big scandal, you know, oh, you know, you know, that's what I grew up with. You know, I grew up in a racist country, which is uh, Canada, which is uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And which I'm calling was, you from right now. I'm actually about uh, probably 15 blocks from your old high school slash house. So uh, you're you're Calgary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, I, I grew up there. And so, uh, you know, it's not so much fighting racism as much as it was uh, dealing with racism, you know, because you can't fight ignorance. You know, uh, you can. The best way to fight. Yeah. I mean, you we Canada had hockey. You know, so so you, we got a we got a sport, an organized sport that where you can get out there and duke it out, um, uh, and and that's stopped a lot of racism in in, uh, in Calgary for sure. Because when uh, the Sneed brothers started playing hockey, you know, they're, they're the black uh, family in Calgary, uh, Bernie especially, because Bernie, you know, built like a Goliath. You know, he was really well built and tough as nails, and. Uh, and so that 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 uh, eliminated. Oh, okay. Is it uh, J- JP called me? He's probably uh, just making sure that you're on the call or not. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. I love JP because you know he's he's uh, he's got a hearing problem. You know, <laughs> so he he like he'll he'll we'll do photo sessions together. And and he'll he'll get in the way all the time. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, yeah, hey, you're in the way, but he can't hear you. <laughs> and so he's usually he's usually in the way telling me to make sure that no one gets in your way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Calgary, man, Calgary. Whoo! I'm, I'm look right now. Uh, my uh, daughter and uh, Robbie. And her guy, uh, Dave, are doing a documentary on Cheech and Chong. And so I, I mentioned the fact that uh, I was one of the only brown kids at, uh, at uh, King George uh, Junior High in Calgary. And so they, they contacted uh, looking for pictures because there's one great class picture. And I'm right at the end. And so it looks like white, 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 period. <laughs> Uh, you, you talk about a lot in your shows about how uh, your, your time in Calgary was marred a little bit by racism, by uh, uh, growing up as the only person of color in your neighborhood, in your high school. Do you look back on it? Is there any fond memories of Calgary, though? Oh, tons of fond memories. No, those memories weren't, weren't they were personal memories, you know, something that you can't share with anybody. You know, that's one thing about racism. Uh, it, it's so personal. It bites right to the core because it's, it's your, people that you thought were your best friend, people that you confided with, you know, uh, you know, you grew up with. And then all of a sudden they'll say something that, that shows their ignorance. And then you realize, oh, you know, oh. and and so, so it wasn't uh, my brother made it combative. In, in a way, he he was tough as nails, and and he he was three years older than me, and he had a well, he was a tough guy. So tough guys always look at, you know, when they get in the crowd, they look for the tough guy, and then and then they'll they'll fight either alone or with a crowd. But but that's what tough guys do, and my, that's what my brother did. I was never a tough guy. I could fight, but I I I, I would rather laugh, you know. I'd rather entertain. And, and I, I just love, I had a, I still do. I still, for the, for the rejects, the outlast, you know, the kids uh, that everybody picked on and, you know, uh, that would be my friend, you know, and I was at, I always had a, uh, I grew up, I always had a funny friend, a friend that was just really like, we both like to, to 
you know, to laugh. And sometimes it would be at the expense of other people, but, you know, so be it, you know. No, I, I, uh, no, I, I was, uh, and I, I still am an observer. You know, I, I just like to look. I, you know, I had no idea till now, till, till now that I'm older. Now, you know, when you get older, you know how the old guys used to piss you off because they always talk about the good old days, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid. Well, I'm at that age now. <laughs> and so, so what's, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens is that as you get older, you get, you go back to your youth, you know, you, you go back, you don't have to be the dad, you don't have to be the, the, you know, the macho man, or you don't have to be the, the stud that's trying to get the girls. Now you're, you're, you're grandpa, you know, and when you, when you become grandpa, then you re then that's your now you've got a job of taking care of the little kids you know oh go stay with grandpa watch you you know we're going out grandpa's going to be home anything you need you go to grandpa and 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 so when you become grandpa uh it's it's incredible you have to lose your ego you know you have to say goodbye to what used to be <laughs> you know and and so i've i've been Especially with my my growing up in Calgary, I oh man, I had a storybook uh, childhood. You know, it was you know growing up poor in in in, in the country in, in Calgary. You know, and they, it wasn't really country; it was, it was where the uh, building code stopped, <laughs> and then you could build anywhere. You know, it, it was basically homeless. You know, yeah. that's that was the area that I lived in. And in Calgary, when you're homeless in Calgary, you have to be very innovative because when that winter comes, you have to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, and it just started yeah. snowing this weekend. So I'm assuming oh. most of the homeless people are getting trying to find their uh, homes or trying to find ways to keep warm this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what you do. And that's what when you're when you're a kid. Now, you do that when I was a kid, you do that. As normal, it's normal. Uh, that's your normal day. Like yeah. when I was a kid, I remember, uh, as I could, you know, carry a piece of wood or pull a wagon. I was, I was fetching water. I was fetching, you know, go go get the wood, you know, because the wood kept you warm, and it kept you alive, yeah. <laughs> and it you know warmed the the, the the stove to cook your meals. And uh, and growing up, when you're a kid, you don't know any better. You know that, and that's normal. That's just normal. But we did. And then then when I got to uh, start hanging with with kids that lived with indoor plumbing and stuff like that, you know, you know, the first time I was, I I, I slept in a place where they had indoor plumbing. Um, there, this is the summertime. And I was eight, seven, eight years old, and we're just running around the country, you know, like little native kids, you know, no uh, uh, um, shoes, you know, and, and barely pants, and maybe a shirt, but probably not. And uh, we're just on a dirt road, uh, you know, dusty road, but, but that was a nice soft place to walk when you're barefoot. Yeah. And a car pulls up, and. Uh, and in, in, in the country, you know, when a car pulls up, that's a big deal. You know, oh, hey, here comes a car. <laughs> and uh, and there were some uh, uh, Christians in there, and they're looking for kids to, to take the camp, summer camp. And so, yeah, yeah, thank you. I want to go. <laughs> and so they, they drove us home. We got permission from our parents and my brother and I. And so we they drove us uh, to... Um, to a little church, I guess, in Calgary, somewhere in Calgary. And it had, you know, they had little uh, cubicles to sleep and it had indoor plumbing. And it was the first time that I remember using an indoor toilet. Wow. And I was seven, eight years old. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, for someone, like you said, who is on the other side of the tracks, who didn't have indoor plumbing, that probably felt like you're like basically royalty at that time. 
Well, it was like, whoa, this is this is something else. You know, not that I, you know, it wasn't that. Oh, you see, when you when you don't have anything, you don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah, you see, so everything is just like, a, oh, this is great. Oh, wow, I can't wait to tell my mom about this. <laughs> you know, because that's what you did. You know, you always had you get your stories and you went home and told your parents. You know, and told well, with but that's with my mom. My dad was usually gone. And he really, really wasn't that interested <laughs> in kids' stories, but my mother was. But you know, when you, when you grow up like that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, as I reminisce, it was magical, so magical, because you're growing up in nature. You know, but yeah, you're one with the with with the the, the animals. Yeah, and we had animals. We had chickens. We had a, a couple of ducks. And the reason we had chickens and ducks was that being Chinese, you know, we 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 lived in it wasn't a a farm by any stretch of the imagination. It was it was a, a cottage on a, about an acre of land, not even a, a half an acre or something. But anyway, we had room for gardens, and we we and the reason we had chickens was that my dad would bring them home from the market to, to kill. And, and they would become pets. <laughs> oh, here's a you know, duck. Oh, let's name this. And so all the animals became pets. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, you know, every, as we got older, yeah, well, we had to sacrifice a few of our pets. But then, by then, you know, as you got a little older, you know, you'd rather eat the chicken than play with it. <laughs> you'd rather be full than not be, well, they'd rather be full than yeah. hungry. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when you're poor like that, having a, a fresh chicken at night, I, I mean, uh, for your meal, is like, oh, we've died and gone to hell. You put on your best clothes <laughs> to eat <laughs> because it's a special occasion. No, growing up like that, because you don't know you're poor. This is just normal. Yeah. And then when you meet other kids, because you, you, there's nothing to compare it to. You know, even, you know, that's why this lockdown, it kind of makes me smile because our school was was tiny, but there was more kids and there were room in school. And so we had a split. The big kids went to school in the, let's see. How did, or yeah, the, the, the young kids went to school in the morning and then the, then the big kids went to school in the afternoon. And so for a couple of, well, I guess one, two years, you know, I went half day school and uh, yeah, it was a country school too. So it was, you know, when I look back at that, uh, their their memories are just so fun. Last day of school, for instance, you know know what we had to do? We had to get sandpaper and, uh, and, uh, you know, I guess, anyway, we had to, to sand our desk <laughs> because when we carved our initials and stuff into the desk, <laughs> we had to <laughs> repair it the best way we could. Oh, we had really, we literally had to clean up our mess before we left <laughs> wow. or for the next, for the next class that was coming in. <laughs> um, you you have talked about being a musician, how you have loved music and how you've loved poetry. What was the first moment you realized that music was potentially a career path for you? Because before you, when you moved to Vancouver, you started, you had a bar, you were in, uh, I just want to make sure I got the name, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouvers. So when did you realize that music was a big part of your life? Well, it was always was. I, around the same age. I learned how to play uh, my mother, when she was pregnant with me, she bought a little cheap guitar from the Sears catalog, and she would hold it against her tummy and strum it, you know. Wow. And uh, and then she learned a few chords, but not really. Uh, but it was it was you know I, I guess it was ordained because uh, I ended up with some musical ability. Now I. I, I we used to visit my my uh, uncle. It wasn't really an uncle, but he was Chinese. And back in the day, when the Chinese came over, every all the Chinese were related, you know. So you can get through the immigration, you know. Oh, that's my uncle. <laughs> and so I had an uncle Joe, and he had an adopted kid named Winky, 
Winky. I never I, first time I said that. Winky was like uh, we were. If I was eight, Winky was like sixteen, and so we would visit them. And Winky had a um, uh, a little twelve uh, bass accordion in his room. And so, as soon as I'd go over there, I'd grab that accordion, sit there and play and make, figure out tunes and figure out how to play, you know, different tunes. I, I never took any lessons and I just, I could play by ear. And then, uh, when, uh, you know, then I got interested in the music then and then uh, we got the guitar and, and I got it tuned up. Oh, we had a, a neighbor across the, the field who played fiddle. And so he helped me tune my guitar. And so then I started playing, playing the little chords and that. And then I, because I, the fiddle player, uh, we used to play for parties. And so then I uh, would listen to him play and then I would go home and try to play what he was playing. And then I, I got to the point where I could, I could, I knew the chords and, and then I ended up being his background guitar player because everybody else, uh, you know, we're in the country. You know, there there was a, there was no musician union or anything. It was the, the, his guitar player got married, left or something. Anyway, I was the only guy around that could play guitar with the fiddle player, and so I learned real early okay. how to play for dances. You know, that's all night. It wasn't you know just do your one little song, go to bed. It was it was jamming all Good night. Good three four hours on. With a fiddle player, and they were the drunker they got, the more music we played, and and so I I learned that's that that's what gave me the chops, you know, rhythm chops, and then as then then when I joined Army Cadets, I hooked up with a full blood native uh, uh, Indian. Uh, I, I brought my accordion to camp with me, but I never played it. I was too shy. But uh, there, there was a, 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 a the guitar player, uh, he, uh, Dick Dick Bird, from Calgary, and so so Dick and I hooked up, and then and that's how I got into serious music because Dick, uh, you know, then all through our teens, we would get together, we would play, you know, Army Cadets, and then we'd play. Uh, and, oh, I'd take the bus over to his house in in uh, Southwest Calgary. He lived on the res. Uh, you know, uh, the wartime houses. His dad was in the army. So he had a real nice, nice home. And so I would take the bus and sometimes with my guitar amp <laughs> on the bus and uh, and uh, through the snow and, and up to his house. And I'd stay over, I'd stay overnight and we would play all night, all day, all night. And we'd go to bed and then wake up and reach over and pick up the guitar and start playing again. And that's that. Oh, and then uh, we're, I was 14, 13, 14 then. And then uh, we, Dick would phone, he'd, uh, some girls would phone him, you know, because he was an Elvis impersonator. And so, so Dick would say, hey, listen to this. And he put the phone down and then we'd start playing away and we'd forget the phone was there. And we played for for about an hour, and then oh look at the phone oh, and they pick up the phone and she'd still be there. Wow! <laughs> so that's all right. That's 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 what we got me in. And then I, I I discovered dancing, you know, and I and I started going to all these dances by myself and watching the kids dance, you know. And then I then I started trying dancing myself and I found it was not bad. I was pretty good. I could do it, you know, because I had the musical ability and, and we played for so many dances, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, house parties that it was normal. It was, I, I really learned how to dance watching the house parties. And then, uh, so I got pretty good. And then I ended up with a, a partner, a black girl named Edie and Edie and I were partners. And then this football hero, Tommy Milton, he was a, biggest star football star in Calgary because he played with uh, the junior B uh, uh, team. What were they called? My brother played too. And, you know, they were both on the same hockey uh, football team. And then Tommy heard that I played guitar. So we hooked up together 
And then in the meantime, Dick and I, Dick always got gigs for us. And so we would play the the legions, just the two of us, you know, wow. him, and, him and I. And then when I started dancing with Edie, and, and Tommy was the best dancer of, of all, you know, he was the best. And so we would go to the Legion Hall, and this is me. I, I, I wrote this show. Edie and, Edie and Tommy would dance while, while Dick and I played music. And the Legion Hall, you know, all those drunk ex uh, uh, servicemen, you know, they, oh, they loved it. Oh, you know, they clapped. Great. Buy, buy us all the beer we could drink. Back in the day, beer, you could get a glass of beer for a dime and a, a large glass for 25 cents. And the waiters used to carry around the big trays just filled with beer. I don't know how they did it, but they carried around and slap all that beer down and, and all the change would go on, on top of the tray. Yeah, that was that was, and that's how I got into uh, music, yeah, like playing long hours. You know, you know, like a show. It would be an hour show at least. You know, and um, we did that, and then eventually uh, we um, Tommy. Then and then Tommy was a singer too, and so we we put the first R and B band together, rhythm and blues, because Tommy was connected to the black. Uh, culture and and the and the the guys that worked the trains and the porters they would bring up all the records from from the states and so we got turned on to Bo Diddley and oh, wow. Chuck Berry all those all those great uh, R&B because he never played it in Calgary on the radio it was, it. All country, <laughs> it was all country and you know <laughs> and but I loved I loved the the country too because it, all of us we once they had a trio. There was a Kenny Nawada, Japanese uh, family from you know from the the, the war, you know, yeah. being taken off their farm. Uh, there was Kenny Nawada. Uh, he was also an army cadet. Dick Bird, also our army cadets, and, and me, and the three of us. And we're all of color. You know, we're all different colors, and we 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 played. Uh, oh man, it was. The music, it was just incredible. And then when I was about 15, I guess, or so, there's um, uh, Gaines Night, uh, oh, I almost said it. It was on out near where the radio station is now, or the TV station, Pine Lake, no. Pine Ridge? Pine Ridge. Yep. The guy, the guy had a little, little, uh, not a nightclub, but it was like a restaurant kind of thing. Okay, yeah. And, uh, I think it's something you're talking about. It was a highway at one time. It was on the old, with the old bank coach road, something like that. But it, it, anyway, he hired me to play guitar. And just me. And so I, I showed up with my guitar. And I, I, I didn't sing, you know, so so I, I, I played a few tunes I knew. You know, I thought I was going to be backing up somebody. <clears throat> but it was just me. And so when he found out that I was limited there, he put me behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had me become a bartender. Well, I never bartendered in my life, man. I got that place so drunk <laughs> because I was pouring the drinks, man. I was getting everybody got doubles because I had no clue what to do, and so I just poured all these drinks. And my dad had to come and pick me up and. Uh, and uh, he he laughed. He he cracked up because everybody was so drunk because <laughs> of that. But that that was my musical thing. And then Dick it went further with it, you know. And then when when I got ended up with Tommy, Tommy, then the Bernie Sneed, the 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 kid, the, the Goliath that would was the badass. He became a piano. He was a piano player. And so then there was Dick. Uh, uh, no, yeah, actually, at the time, we, we kept all the shades together. We called ourselves the shades. And then when we got the Calgary thing. And then another cadet, uh, Roy, Roy Talbot, his dad ran uh, the boys club in Calgary. <laughs> and so then I started the shades team club at the Legion Hall on Ninth Avenue in Calgary. And wow. 
we, we were the first RMV band in, in Western Canada. We were the first uh, teen club in Calgary. And we had dances at the Legion Hall that were just memorable. I mean, there was nowhere else to go in Calgary. And all of a sudden, yeah. you got a, a rhythm and blues band playing hard rock, rhythm and blues in, in, a, in a great dance hall. And we packed that place. And then they made us shut down at, at 12 midnight on Friday and, or Saturday uh, because we had it Saturday night. And so all the all those, <laughs> you know, we got them all pumped up, you know, with the music and everything else and nowhere to go in Calgary. <laughs> and so some poor girl would be babysitting somewhere and the guy, hey, there's a party over here. And so... <laughs> 200 people would show up at this, at the girls drunk and rowdy, you know, Calgarians, you know, hockey players. And they're drunk, rowdy, and fighting and stealing the, the old man's booze and the cops would be called. And so, and so we played there for, well, the first gig we got was in Bonness. And we were so new at the game that we didn't even like there's a way to count a, a tune in you know when you when you're playing a tune the way is you one two one two three four then you start yeah. we we didn't do that we just look at each other you ready okay we're like a punk band ready okay let's go boom and we start playing uh and so so we auditioned for uh the bonus park and, and in the meantime there was a buddy of mine uh i went to school with gordy schultz he was a sax player. He also was in the in the in the army, to cadets, and then the reserve. He he had a, a real nice Glenn Miller type band already out at uh, Bonus Park. But as soon as the the park saw us, you know, we were rock and roll. Boom! They lost their gig. We got the gig, and so we played in in uh, Bonus Park for for uh, a couple of summers. Yeah. Really? Oh, man. And there again, that was in, see, in Calgary, you know, a dance isn't a dance unless there's a fight after. Oh, know? God, yes. <laughs> Still the same way yeah, with Calgary Stampede. <laughs> and there has to be a fight. Oh, in the Calgary Stampede, <laughs> we found, I don't know how we did it, we found a, a, a an empty lot with a, <laughs> oh, they had Western guys playing on it. What do you call the, the truck? You know, flatbed? Yep. A flatbed truck. And so we got a gig. And so we we loaded up our stuff. We're down there playing away. And then we had a friends go up to, in the audience and collect money. And we we made hundreds of dollars, man. It was like incredible. Most money we ever made. Because when we had the team club, <laughs> I don't know. Because I was never one about getting money for, for playing. And when I got money, it was like a, it was embarrassing almost, you know. And so when we had the team club, because it was a team club, we would just take a wage. We would take 20 bucks a piece. Yep. And that's how much we got paid. And then the rest went into the team club account. I mean, this is the way I, I, I'm still like that, you know. <laughs> like, I could have taken all the money. And well, the only time we did one time, Tommy and I, uh, we, we put a tour together in, in B.C., and now the band's called Little Daddy and the Bachelors. And we toured around BC on our own dime. Wow. Yeah, we we booked the hall and we'd get a bullhorn, go around the town. Hey, the shades are, uh, where, no, Little Daddy and the Bachelors playing at the, at the community Legion. center. Yeah. Come on down. And then we would pack the place. And we barely made it, barely made it. Then we went to Kelowna. Oh, and wow. Kelowna was the regatta. And we booked a, the hall. And at the time, you could book a hall for 25 bucks a night. And so we booked a hall. We had it for a week. Packed that place every night for a week. Packed. And this time, Tommy and I, you know, we were both married. We both had families. We kept the money this time. <laughs> we paid our band. We paid our band. And then I went home and I handed this big chunk of money to my, to my wife. Maxine at the time, and uh, no man, we uh, I, I, musically I've been through the whole gamut, and it was, and it wasn't like overnight. It wasn't uh, you know 
me with a computer in my room, you know, working away. No, it was hardcore, uh, five hours, six, you know, three, four, five hours a night playing the same tune sometimes, you know, really working hard. I developed chops. And, and more than that, I developed a sense of what to do with the crowd, you know, first of how to get the crowd and what to do with the crowd and how to do it. You know, it's just trial and error, you know, and, and <laughs> like the band, for instance, when we had, uh, see, this is country living. <laughs> uh, we, 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 we needed transportation. We had everything. We, we, had, we needed a bass player and we needed transportation. And my brother had a car. And so I taught him how to play bass. And he was playing on stage the, uh, the next day because we grew up together, but he was no interest in music whatsoever. He was, he was, he was a hockey player. He was a sports guy. But when we got to the gig, he became a pretty fine bass player. He never really got, he did what he had to do, the farm. You know, hey, hold this, <laughs> push this, do this. Okay, here, here's a bass, play this. Oh, okay. And you played it, you got paid, then you put the bass down. <laughs> and went you around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so even to this day, we had a reunion, this is years later, you know, and in fact, yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Uh, we had a reunion and my brother played bass. And I had to go put his fingers where they're supposed to be on the bass. All these years later, he never, he never learned. Never he, just learned. Did what he, he just did what he had to do. Oh, man, that's Calgary. That was that, so Calgary. That, that is. Um, uh, we still haven't even gotten off Calgary. We haven't even moved to your Vancouver years. But um, is, is Calgary where you got the itch for marijuana is that where you finally took the first your first yeah. stoke absolutely yeah most Calgary. Calgary. and because we were musicians uh you know i, I we found a little jazz club in calgary that uh, if you showed up there with your with your instrument you got in free and so i used to go down the jazz i loved the jazz club you know that's where i got turned on the jazz you know and and so I got turned on to jazz. I got turned on to culture. He got turned on to all the good jazz. And then this bass player from uh, from Calgary, Raymond Ma, Chinese guy. He was a jazz bass player, and uh, he showed up one time at the jazz club, and he had just come from California. He'd just been in L.A. and he showed up, and he handed me a joint, first marijuana cigarette, and uh, Lenny Bruce record. See, all this stuff is ordained. The Lenny Bruce record, the joint, I put the joint in my pocket, and so he lit up his. <laughs> That's a little trick I learned. <laughs> Instinctively. See, in the country, you don't do it immediately. You take it, you put it in your pocket, you know, whatever it is, food, whatever. You don't just munch away. Thank you. Put it in your pocket, and you... Think about it. You go, you know, when it's lunchtime, then you have your lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, this is the way I was raised. And, and so when, I, when, he, when he gave me the joint, I immediately put it in my pocket, and then he lit up his joint, and then that was my first taste of marijuana. And uh, you remember to it? this day, oh, to this day, I was listening to a tune called Lonely Woman by Ornette Coleman. Lonely Woman by Ornette Coleman. And uh, I saw the woman in the balcony and waiting. Uh, you know, I, I just, in my mind, I mean, that's what marijuana did to me. It just, whoa, took me into that other universe. And I, I was like so amazed. And all the music, all of a sudden I understood it. It made sense. I understood what they were doing. And that's when I started, the writer in me started coming out of me. Because I was, I had a, uh, uh, my, my sister's teacher, Bill Summers. God, I can't remember. I remember Bill Summers was a high school teacher. Yep. And he was a jazz uh, piano player and a horn player. And he had polio or something with his hands when he was a kid. So, so he didn't have all his, all his, uh, digits, 
you know, his fingers working on that, but he could play trumpet and play uh, uh, jazz piano. He's a genius, genius guy. He's teaching uh, theater now somewhere, but Bill Summers, and, and that's when I started understanding the, the writer in me started coming out. Because we we'd have conversations. Because oh, he, he he lived at our house. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, he he, he he mom. We always had a, uh, a, a empty room. We always rented. We always had a renter, and uh, and Bill was our renter. And so Bill and I, one time we got into a conversation about jazz, and I told Bill, I says, jazz is is like a conversation. People are, are, are having conversations, and when they take their solo, then, then, then they, they got something to say. And the, and the important thing about jazz, the good, the good jazz, the conversation's interesting. <laughs> you see, the bad jazz is when they don't know what they're saying, so they just keep repeating, repeating the same thing. And, and th now that came out of me. I remember it to this day, and that's another good thing about a writer too, if you have a good memory, you know, because I live in that world. I live in that, that writer world where my mind is just thanks to pop, I guess, because it just, it just goes everywhere. And I remember, I remember things, you know, like I did Bill Summers, man. I haven't said that name in, in years, What a cool guy. He was very, very cool guy. And we, we, we never played together. He was never in the band because he was always a little more intellectually, you know, miles from me. But he was he was a very cool guy, and uh, yeah. And in the meantime, I'm I'm going through all these these trips with my ladies, you know, like I had my my childhood sweetheart Bernie's sister Maxine, my my partner Edie Edie and I. We, we tried to be girlfriend, boyfriend, but it didn't work. You know, she's too, she was, we were the same age. She was too smart. She, she, I, I had so much growing up to do. In fact, I, I took her on a date. I finally, my dream when I was a kid was to have my own hot rod. You know, I, I was terrible with cars, but I, I loved, I loved cars. You know? And I ended up getting a, a real little, little roadster convertible with a truck engine. And oh, and and it was just me. I had no partners, nobody, just me. And I'd drive around my little uh, truck. Oh, and I, I. But I always wanted something more powerful. You know, you know how people are with their cars. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't appreciate it, but but I, I, I took it. So I, I ended with this forty-eight Chevy, <laughs> and the, the heater didn't work. And so my, my date, I took Edie on a date. Now, I think this is when I first into into comedy. I took her to the drive-in movie theater. <laughs> and Edie, Edie and I, it, it was, uh, we were dancers together, you know. And so physically, she was very attractive, beautiful, blue eyes, black girl. Oh, but she was more cerebral than sexy. And so we went to the drive-in and heater wouldn't work and we're sitting there watching the movie freezing our ass off <laughs> we're not making out or anything and it was like take me home take me home <laughs> so, so I, I took her home and, and that was a, that was the last time i seen her and so my, i tried to fix the heater uh the next day or the a couple of days later and uh, and i'm i'm a musician i'm not a mechanic the fiddle player I played with, he was a mechanic, but not me. And and I, I didn't know if the fan was on or, or not. And for some reason, I stuck my finger and ding! And so this finger here, see, see it's oh. permanently, permanently gone because I, I, I severed the tendon in it. Oh. And, I, and I went to the, the, you know, right away, there's a doctor around the corner and I went there. He almost, he looked at it and almost threw up himself. <laughs> And then he, then he put, got me in the hospital. He tried to sew it together. You can't do it, you know. But it gave him a practice, you know. But anyway, I had, but luckily it was my finger and it was bent the right way. Oh, and perfect. So it, 
and so it didn't hurt my guitar playing. But that was the end of my my mechanical career. You know. Music has played a big influence in your life in Vancouver as well. Uh, Vancouver, you had your own bar. Like I said, you got together with Bobby Taylor. You became Bobby Taylor and the Vancouverites. Uh, you were you had a chart topping single. Uh, Does your mama know about me? And also yeah. in Vancouver, you met uh, Cheech. So from Calgary, you have like the luck of the dice. When you go to Calgary, you sort of hit hit it big time in Vancouver. Yeah, well, thanks to the mayor, you know, because we got kicked out of Calgary. Like I said, we had the teen club and it was doing so well and it created such a crowd. The Calgary police couldn't handle it. You know, they're, they're, they were understaffed like crazy. Next thing you know, they're getting calls all over the city. You know, these kids are tearing this apart. You know, these teenagers, you know, they're going wild. And so they called us into the office. I thought we were going to get awarded an award for the teen club. <laughs> and the chief of police is there. The mayor is there. Uh, was the mayor there? I think he was. <laughs> I think he was. Uh, I know the, the the city attorney. Everybody was there, and the, and they said and they said you know we think it would be a good idea if you guys left town. You know, and, and when and it was racist, Calgary, racist because it was a black band at that particular time. Other than me, everybody in the band was black because the white guys quit. Pete, he was white. He was. Uh, quarter, quarter uh, mulatto, they call him. Uh, but Pete and, and Eric, the drummer, white guy, they, they formed their own band. They quit because I wouldn't do, uh, um, I wouldn't let the band do, uh, do fraternity gigs or something like that. Anyway, or play for nothing because that's what Eric wanted to do, play for nothing or stuff like that. You know, so we, uh, so we split. And so we, we Sonny Crothers, the black guy, uh, drummer, he would, and Ken Cheney would drive down from Edmonton to play with the Shades. <clears throat> and so when we, and that's really when the band, the, 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 the band took off with the crowd there because it was all black band. And so Calgary took that all black band and he said, get out of here. Get Ran them out of the town. town. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And they kicked us out. They literally kicked us out. But we were glad to go. Because it's like Sonny was from Vancouver, and so so Sonny said, "Well, let's go to Vancouver." And and Tommy Milton and I and everybody, uh, you know, Bernie, we are, yeah. Let's so that go. was it. That was just a let's go to Vancouver because I'm from Vancouver. Because you would think you would go to Toronto, one of the hubs of Canada, but no, you went to Vancouver. We were so ignorant when it came to the, the, the way to do music. Musically, really what we were, were we were ex-high school jocks playing music, almost like a hobby, because none of us really were, you know, dyed-in-the-wool musicians. Bernie was a football player, as well as uh, he could play piano. Uh, I was... You know, I played linebacker in, in high school football. Uh, my brother, who couldn't come, he couldn't come to Calgary to Vancouver with us, so we had to leave him behind. And so we we were without a bass player. But I took the bass because I was playing bass. Ken, Ken Ken Cheney, he was a sax player, but he also played jazz piano. And so we had a little jazz trio going too with me playing bass. And so so and Sonny was also jazz and, and R and B. And so, uh, the, uh, the, the, all of us, we, we other than then, Sonny and Ken, well, even Sonny wasn't, but Ken Cheney really was like a, a, a disciplined piano player and sax player. And he played sax because he could play uh, in the rock and roll band. But as soon as we got to Vancouver, we played about two gigs and then Ken quit. He wanted to go to Chicago. We got a gig at, at the one, uh, the New Delhi, the hot uh, R&B club in, in, in Vancouver, <clears throat> where we, we, we stayed there for a year. I mean, that's, where, that's how unsophisticated we were. 
because <laughs> we were like we're like laborers and we get a job okay we'll stay in the job till till we get fired or the job's finished and we have to go find another job that's the way we looked at the music you know we never had any plans agents or anything else we just played music and we were so good we we're so entertaining i mean tommy milton he could dance sing and we we had we we so we had a whole act when we played, we did just didn't play music. We did all sorts of uh, gymnast stuff, you know. I would play the guitar behind my back uh, and upside down, you know. <laughs> we all had a Bernie would put his hand feet on the piano, and every uh, we all had an act, and and that's what drove uh, you know the audience is crazy, you know, and and that's why we got the gig. But then after a while, you know, and people see it enough times, a year, we're a year in Vancouver. And it was like, finally, Leo, the, he was from India. And Leo says, okay, you know, we have to get a new act in here. <laughs> and so, but, but no matter who they got, they were never as dynamic as we were. And, and so eventually we ended up, uh, we, we played in, in Vancouver as long as we could. And then, uh, and then my family, and my uh, my first wife Maxine, they, they drove from Calgary to come and get me because <laughs> the band had broken up. Yeah. Everybody went their own way. I ended up playing in a in a, a girly show uh, for um, uh, strippers. You know, it was at a carnival. Uh, Izzy Izzy Walters in, uh, in in Vancouver put this together. He it was a side gig. And so they needed a guitar player, and so I ended up playing guitar. And then they found a drummer who was a military drummer. And so the two of us, we, we were the band for these girls. And so when that gig ended, uh, I was staying with some friends. It was actually it was a, a, a hooker and her pimp. <laughs> they, they had me stay at their place so that when the, the fight got out of hand, I would be there to pull him off of her so he wouldn't kill her. And, uh, and that was my, and I could stay there rent free. And so that's where I was living. And then, and then I moved back to uh, the, the Hazelwood hotel in Vancouver, oh, a beautiful little hotel. You had your own bathroom in, in the room and it was perfect. 25 bucks a, a week. Yeah. 25 bucks oh, wow. a week. You would never get that today. <laughs> Oh, no, no. It's a junkie hotel now. You can't even get into it. I tried to go there to see the old times. But I was there. I was living there. And then my parents, my mom and dad and Maxine, they, they drove up and they, they came and got me. <clears throat> and then I, I drove back. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Whoa!